Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Beat, the only podcast which brings together the reporters and journalists who cover Arsenal on a regular basis. I'm Sam Dean from the Daily Telegraph and today I'm joined by a familiar voice in Simon Collins of the Evening Standard and also by a new guest on the podcast, Harvey Downs, a football data editor at Opta. Now, Simon and I were both at Anfield this weekend for Arsenal's 4-0 defeat, which was either a complete and utter catastrophe or, you know, the next step in the process, depending on your view. So we're going to have a chat about that one. And we're also going to talk to Harvey a bit about some of the numbers and, and data behind Arsenal's season and Arteta's reign as a whole so far. Um, and then Harvey, you'll be the latest man to take on the famous Arsenal beat Arsenal quiz with Santi Cazorla as your chosen specialist subject. I think that'd be quite a popular one with a few of our listeners, so no pressure on you there. Um, before we get on to the Liverpool game, Harvey, can you just briefly introduce yourself to the listeners and explain what you do? And also, you're a big Arsenal fan as well, aren't you? I am indeed, yep. So I'm a uh, data editor at Opta, uh, and we're owned by a company called Stats Perform. And we basically create pre- and post-match content for our clients uh, for the top four tiers in England, uh, major domestic and European competitions, and also for internationals. So it's not just Arsenal that I cover. Um, we also provide a live chat service uh, for some of our clients uh, during matches. So we often post facts sort of as events happen. Um, so a lot of the stats that you hear from the commentators, uh, for example, after a goal has been scored, they come directly from us, uh, which is pretty cool to them on telly. Um, we're probably best known for our Twitter account, Opta Joe. Uh, we have a pretty specific style or way of posting on Twitter uh, where we start with a number and then we post the fact and then end it with a word that sort of summarises the fact itself. Um, so yeah, I'd say Opta Joe is sort of the crown jewels of our department, if you'd like to put it, and allows us to sort of showcase um, the data that we have access to at Opta. Um, and from this, we get a lot of requests from clients. Uh, so we're able to help them put together their articles, obviously help Sam out with a few of his pieces um, uh, for the Telegraph. And then from this, where, when we get a bit of downtime, we also like to write our own pieces, uh, which are published on the Opta Analyst website uh, which is where my Arteta piece uh, was posted just before that Liverpool game um, which I think you guys referenced on your pod last week so uh, yes yeah, we did a brief we, rundown we of the roles that we have in editorial yeah. opta brilliant uh, yeah we, we did reference that piece and I did steal a load of those stats from my own piece as well so feel free <laughs> feel free feel free thanks very much for that We'll come back. We'll come back to some of the that, that piece and some of the numbers. But first, I think Simon, let's talk a bit about the match. Um, you and I both made the long journey up. Stafford services wasn't wasn't great. N- not a great service station, <laughs> but, but uh, if it did did the job on the day. Uh, what did you make of the performance, Simon? Obviously, the results bad. Um, final defeat never good. But was, were there any sort of reasons for optimism or hope there at all? Yeah, I think when we were. Um... Chatting at the services on the way up, I was I was vaguely optimistic and fancied a sort of score score draw, um, which didn't come to light, obviously. But I thought for the sort of first 35, 40 minutes, I thought Arsenal actually dealt with Liverpool fairly well. For me, the get the game, I know it was a point out match of the day, and I kind of agreed with it. That that sort of flare up on the touchline for me just ignited the whole game. Um you know, Klopp and Arteta going at it and the atmosphere in the ground changed and this just sort of red tide of Liverpool came flowing forward and Arsenal couldn't really stop them and in the end they sort of collapsed a bit but I think Arteta was correct in his point that I've watched many games at Anfield where teams have collapsed and when you're the youngest side in the league was it a massive surprise? No. 
Um, I think the real test is going to be how Arsenal bounce back and how how quickly they can respond from from a game like that. Who would last longer in a ring, um, Klopp or Arteta? Do you think? <laughs> I mean Klopp has got the absolute reach on Arteta he's just be fending him off but I think Arteta just looks like scrappy like he was fully he was you know Steve Round and uh, I think it was Stubenberg were properly holding him back there um, he was giving it large wasn't he he was properly going so. for that he had uh, he was really up for it so I think that'd be quite a good bet I just think Klopp with that reach sort of the Tyson <laughs> Furies about him just would be keeping Arteta at bay but um, yeah I, I wonder with that scrap whether I was being slightly cynical, but I thought Klopp, I don't know if Klopp was incensed as he thought or whether he thought, hang on a minute, you know, I can get the crowd. That's me being a cynic, but it did change the game for me. It certainly changed the atmosphere. I think that Liverpool, Klopp would have known with his all of experience and, and knowledge of Anfield as a, as a sort of living, breathing thing. Um, he would have known that the moment that happened, that he'd got him. You know, it's like that classic meme of, ladies and gentlemen, we got him. And that was the moment he got into Klopp's head, into Arteta's head, sorry. And I, I, I part of me thought at the time that because Arteta had been sort of he'd been sort of rumbling a bit before that. It wasn't like that came from naught to hundred. He was sort of getting a bit agitated. I did wonder for a second whether it was a deliberate thing to say to those players that we're not afraid to be here. Let's stick it stick it to them a bit, and, and you know we're not going to back down against the mighty Liverpool. But then obviously it backfired massively. Or do you just think it was just? This loft is cool. Head, head, head went rather than a calculated move from Arteta's point of view. Yeah, I think that Arteta seems to. Well, we were. I was chatting about this afterwards with friends, and we were saying with all these touchlines incidents that seem to take place, the the common denominator seems to always be Klopp. Like I can remember Lampard at Anfield. I can remember Guardiola there, obviously recently, and I just think Klopp has is an expert at getting under people's skin. Um, something about the way he's able to, you know, manipulate the crowd, manipulate the situation. And Arteta, I think, just got a bit absorbed in that game and uh, lost his cool momentarily. And particularly after that Mane goal, he was sort of gesturing, like, calm down, calm down, calm down. And, you know, Arteta was the one who lost his cool and ignited the whole situation. So I think it was just for him just getting swept up in the emotion of, of playing at Anfield like that. And that's something that, you know, didn't obviously happen last season at all because we had no facts. That was never a, you know, never a situation. It was just, it was fine. So I think most managers, Klopp's just got a way of getting under their skin and it's it's a skill he's, he's pretty good at. Harvey, what did you make of the game as a whole? Not not just the, the touchline beef, but the game as a whole. And it was something in your piece that really jumped out last week about the 100 games for Atleta was obviously the, the youth of the side. And I wonder yeah. if, you think that inexperience played a part? I mean, I heard a lot of people describe the game as sort of a free hit going into it. And I guess that was because of the unbeaten run that we were on going into the game. And some people saying, oh, I'd take a defeat as long as we were competitive and there was a performance. But I don't think we really sort of did either, to be honest, in the end. It ended up being sort of quite a familiar story for Arsenal at Anfield. It reminded me a lot of the um, 3-1 defeat we suffered there under Emery in 2019, actually. Um we, sort of, we managed to hold Liverpool off sort of at the start of that game. We actually looked quite dangerous on the break. Remember, Aubameyang had a chance where he tried to lob their keeper and Pepe had a one-on-one. Um, then they scored from a corner, didn't they? Just before half-time, Matip scored. And then I think they scored two in quite quick succession after half-time. It's sort of a similar pattern in this game. We conceded from a set piece just before the break. And I thought up till Mane's goal, we were actually quite competitive. And I don't think the, the touchline for Akar sort of 
affected the game as much as everyone said, but I definitely do think Klopp knew what he was doing. There's not many more intimidating grounds than Anfield away. And we did seem to have silenced the crowd at that point. Um, so, yeah, I think I think he did know what he was doing, but we were, we were still in the game at half time. I mean, Liverpool came out and completely suffocated us in the second half um, and forced us into a couple of errors. I think Arteta would have been really disappointed with the way we conceded those first two goals, to be honest, from a set piece and then obviously the mistake. I put my own Opta hat on this weekend and did some number crunching. I did you? Uh, Simon, the average age of Liverpool's lineup was 28 and they had one player under the age of 24. Arsenal had an average age of 24 and yeah. seven players aged 23 or younger. Arsenal also had about two 2,200 senior appearances to their name compared to 3,700 at Liverpool. So basically the gap in experience and age was absolutely enormous. Yeah. And it made, me, it made me think of the the issue of leadership that we've had or that Arsenal have had for a long time. Um, and I look, I look particularly at Thomas Partey and I thought, Arteta said a few weeks ago he wanted to be the boss of the midfield. And as it turned out, Arsenal got completely overrun in the midfield. But Simon, what did you what did you think of the midfield situation? And was 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 is it fair to expect more from Party, do you think? Yeah, I think the, the only caveat with Party would be obviously he's had the you know fitness issues, so maybe that was why he was slightly off the pace. Um, but those are the games where you need him to, to really run the show. And I, I remember you and I were chatting at halftime in the, in the press box and I was gushing about Fabinho, who I've seen a couple of times, but not. I don't obviously get to watch Liverpool regularly, so I haven't seen him that often. But the way he just controlled that midfield, and broke up the play, and we were saying the number of times Lacazette was trying to just get in that little pocket of space off of Bamiang, and Fabinho would just come and absolutely crunch him. Yeah. Ball, man, everything, you know, completely breaks the attack down. The whole of Anfield roars on their feet because they've just seen Arsenal's number 10 get crunched. Um, and then he has the coolness and the calmness just to lay it off. And, and there were a few pieces flying around on the weekend about how great Oxlade-Chamberlain had been, who I thought played quite well. But for me, it was just because he's playing alongside Fabinho. Um, he looks pretty decent in midfield. And, and I really do feel in terms of that midfield battle, Fabinho just absolutely ran the show. Um, and we saw all of his experience and his now and his expertise come to fruition. So, yeah, I think for Party, you know, speaking more generally, I still really haven't fully seen what I thought Arsenal were going to get from him yet. Um, maybe that's something that's going to come. But in in then we say we said a lot of this pod, but he does occasionally, I think, miss having Granite Jack, and I think maybe Saturday was was another case of that because. He needs someone to do a bit of his dirty work. I think sometimes him and Lokonga are just a little bit too similar to play together, but take nothing away from Fabinho because he was he was absolutely brilliant in that in that midfield role. Harvey, is the men against boys description that a lot of people have used? Do you think that's fair given Arsenal's sort of inexperience in youth? Not particularly, no, because I think Smith Rowe and Saka, well, Saka's played over 100 games for the club now, and Smith Rowe actually made his debut for Arsenal before. Saka. So they have got the experience. I mean, there was a lot of talk, wasn't there, before the game about should we go to a back three and whatnot. But I, I was I was happy that Arteta stick with the back four. It sort of showed that he named, he named the same system, the same sort of players and showed faith in the youth. And 
I thought it sent a good sent a good message to players like Tavares, putting him up against Salah, who's been described as the best player in the world at the moment. And he's 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 not necessarily first choice. And obviously Tierney was fit. And the fact that he kept his place sort of showed that he had faith in him in a way. Hmm. I know it didn't, didn't pay off. Obviously made a mistakes, <laughs> but yeah, I think the, the intent. Yeah, the intent was there, wasn't it? So. Yeah, yeah with, with so, so many times in the past we've seen Arsenal play players like Willian in those big games. And I, th- I think Michael Owen said, did you, did you see the um, the conversation Piers Morgan and Michael Owen had on Twitter after the game? No. I think, uh, I'll try and find it. I think Piers Morgan said something like, Arsenal's calm, trust the process acceptance of a 4-0 thrashing at Liverpool shows how far we've fallen. Michael Owen said, um, the alternative is to stick 11 men behind the ball and get beat 2-0. It's short-term thinking that a cowardly manager with no aspiration of success will perform. At least there was a plan and a style of play. There will be mistakes and pain along the way, but there is hope. And I sort of agree with that. It was the intent that, I know obviously we got battered 4-0, but it was the intent. We could have played a back five and played some more experienced players and still lost. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, what, if there's, if there's one thing that Arsenal have right now, it's a plan. They absolutely have a, a strategy, which is, you know, young players invest in a certain style of play, youngest team in the league, youngest manager in the league. They have got a plan. Obviously, the question is, will the plan work? <laughs> that's the, the, the obvious question, which nobody knows. Um, but as it stands, that's the plan they're going with. Um, I just think, go, going forward, Simon, do you think that would knock the knock the sort of likes of Tavares and Lekonga? I mean, Lekonga had that five minutes after half-time. And I did it. I put uh, in my in my piece from for Monday um, that es- essentially he was he was drowning at that point. So much so that I don't think it was visible on TV. But Lacazette ran back to him during a goal kick and put his arm on his shoulder and said something in his ear along the lines I imagine of you know clear head chin up it's going to be fine because he had a, he had he gave the ball away four times in ninety seconds. It was quite extraordinary. And then two minutes later, Tavares did the same thing and Jota scores for Liverpool. You look at that, I think, for the Congo and virus, young players, first Premier League season, first game at Anfield. Is that going to shape him, do you think? Should 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 be should Arsenal fans be worried about that? Yeah, well, you could you could let it shape you and influence you as, as a player, but you can use it as a as a positive and the experience learned from that and think, you know, that was so harrowing and so, you know, difficult that I've c I i can not let myself be in that situation again. I've got to be better, I've got to react, react, react stronger and, and perform better than I did and I thought Lukonga really was that first I think he, I think he lasted eight minutes of that second half and he, he just he just completely gone like mentally he was just all over the place and he had sort of two or three passes in the first five minutes that were loose and scrappy and then when he made the third I think or the fourth Arteta just turned to the bench and told Maitland to strip off and come on because he'd just seen enough and it was quite you know it's quite ruthless to do that to a young player who obviously knows he's playing terrible knows he's not at it but you've got to, you know, Arteta has to make that substitution because otherwise, A, you set the example of the standards being, oh, don't worry, you know, just keep keep plucking away. And and B, you've got to try and keep yourself in the game. Um, I think it's quite possible both those players might not play against Newcastle. Tierney will definitely come back in, I think. Which would be justifiable because they played poorly and, you know, there should be repercussions for that. But I, I think for them, when, you know, if they were to sit down with Arteta afterwards, you know, go to the analysis and stuff. I think he'll make the point to them, you know, that he made to the whole team that, look, this is Anfield, this is Liverpool, you know, these guys were the European champions two years ago. 
don't worry, this happens to players. Just learn from it, get better from it um, and try and treat it as a positive and bounce back from it because that they've had, other than that, that blip, I think both those players have been good signings. So, um, and I think, you know, as Harvey said, they'd earned the, the right to play at Anfield. And I think that was partly behind the selection of Nuno, maybe that players need to see that if you have a good run of games, you don't just suddenly lose your place because player X is back in the team. There is a reward for doing that. And maybe it backfired, but at least it does show to the squad that if you play well, you can keep your place regardless of who's who's ahead of you. I guess it's because we lost 4-0, but I don't think anyone's really spoken about it. I actually thought Tavares dealt with Salah quite well on the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He seemed to match him. I can sort of see the logic behind it because Tavares is obviously a great athlete. And I can't think yeah. of any moments where Salah sort of did it. He didn't run past him or overpower him no. or all the things that he does to a lot of fullbacks. Um, but, but yes, obviously... The mistake uh, yeah. is, the, is, the, is the killer. Taking a step back from the game for a bit and looking more broadly, Harvey, we mentioned your piece on the on the hundred games, and when you put that together, and when you were going through the, the, the stats and the data under Arteta, any, anything jump out at you or surprise you? Or what, what was really your sort of your standout figure? Do you think? Um, when I was writing it, I sort of wanted to basically tell it as a story sort of from the beginning highlighting sort of the magnitude of the job he was taking on at Arsenal and the state of the club when he came in so I felt it was quite important to emphasise that the majority of his tenure has sort of been overshadowed by what's gone on off the pitch rather than what's gone on on it unfortunately because I know a lot of Arsenal fans were really excited when he was appointed because obviously he's come from being under Guardiola potentially going to be a generational coach but obviously we were looking for a new style of play, but everything's been about what's gone on off the pitch, like with changes at board level, contract issues, stuff like that. But I think the big surprise from it was how many wins he'd had from his first 100 games. Only George Graham having more wins from manager's first 100 games in charge of Arsenal. And I think that we, um, we posted that through Opta um, and that did quite well. Is that partly because of like, the Europa League? Like how much is that skewed by competition? Guess, yeah, taking into account that Wenger was playing in the Champions League, I know, but he had a better squad when we were in the Champions yes. League. So it's kind of relative. Mm, mm, for sure, for sure. And the, the other thing that jumped out in that piece for me was um, the sort of win ratio with Smith-Rowe and without Smith-Rowe. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we, as... Simon I heard you called it well Smith, Row, Smith Row Day, you called it. <laughs> yeah, Smith Row Day, Boxing Day last year. Obviously, Simon and I, we, we, we're lucky enough to go to all the games and see, and see them all. So we can see that the team is way better with Smith Row. But to have it to have it, it sort of illustrated so graphically, what was it, 58% win yeah, with him? So, yeah, the win percentage is 25% higher in the Premier League since the start of last season with him in the team compared to without him. I mean, that just makes that just shows the difference he's made. Um Exactly. I mean, I think that day, that, that game, in my piece, I sort of tried to highlight how big that game was. I think that sort of impacted on the way Arsenal will recruit players going forward. I think that was the turning point for them that game, not necessarily just because Smith Rowe played, but because he brought the youngsters in. Martinelli started as well. Saka was there. Aubameyang didn't start and Lacazette was up top. But we had a really young team out that day and we seemed full of energy and no one expected us to beat Chelsea. We went into that game, I think we were winless in seven going into the game. And yeah, we just put in a really good performance. There was a lot of energy and 
sort of the blueprint of what Arteta wants from his Arsenal team, really. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot if you don't mind. Um, Uh-oh. As, as, a, <laughs> as, as someone who understands these things far better than I do, and hopefully Simon doesn't mind me saying probably better than Simon does as well. The, the XG table, yeah. which um, was sort of been talked about going around a bit yesterday, yeah. it doesn't look particularly flattering for it's Arsenal. It's not great, is it? So James Benj tweeted the XG table would put Arsenal in 16th so far this season. Now, you actually understand XG properly, um, yeah. which I don't, to be honest. I mean, I obviously get it loosely, but not in depth. So what, what should we read into this, do you think, and how worrying is that? So just to start off, I think his XG table was looking at um, XG uh, compared to actual goals scored. So based on what your XG is and how many goals you actually scored, whether you're under or overperforming. We're actually ranking 12th for XG in the Premier League this season with 14.1. So it shows that we're not really creating a lot of good goal scoring chances. Um, We've had seven goals from open play this season and only Norwich have had fewer, which is, but yeah, it's pretty disturbing. Um, We rank 14th for goals with 13. And unfortunately, we've had the most errors leading to goals and shots in the Premier League this season. But then I guess you can caveat that with we're still fifth in the table and only three points off West Ham in fourth, which I guess is the real thing that matters, isn't it? Yes. So how predictive a model is this, do you think? Because that's what people say that, oh, at one point it will... I remember doing... I I cover quite a lot of Brighton as well and do um, not just Arsenal, but other clubs. And last year, they were saying, oh, well, it's going to correct itself at one point for Brighton. They never really did. They just carried on underperforming XG the whole way through. So should we look at this as like, what's going to happen next? Is this, is this what it says that Arsenal will finish 12th, for example? So I don't, I don't know if you remember under Emery, we went on quite a good, well, quite a long unbeaten run under him, but the XG, our XG was actually, we were outscoring our XG, so our XG was a lot lower than the amount of goals we were scoring, which meant Aubameyang and Lacazette were essentially, had a really high shot conversion rate and they were scoring goals that they basically shouldn't have. You'd expect the average player not to score. Um, so yeah, based on XG, it is, it is worrying. Is worrying. Is that is that the, the old cliche used to be that um, the table doesn't lie, but mm-hmm. are we essentially saying that the table does lie or it is correct? Well, it depends. If, if you base it, if you look at XG, if you XG, I mean, for the games that we've played against, we've lost eleven nil in the three games that we've lost to Chelsea, Man City, and Liverpool, and basically created no XG from those games. If you start, if you were to start the table from the end of the transfer window, I think we'd be third. I think it's only is it City and Liverpool or City and Chelsea have won more points in the Premier League than us since then. So it depends how you look at it. It really depends how you look at it and how you want to view it. I suppose the the other counterpoint to the XG being predictive is that XG wouldn't have predicted someone like Smith-Rowe coming to the team on exactly. Emile Smith-Rowe day. So that's that XG says if Arsenal continue to play like they have been for the opening 12 games of this season and don't change, this is where they're likely to end up at, right? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, quite a lot under Arteta. I feel like we've found something new that's worked. We found like a new formation or a new way of playing, breaking through the lines or whatever. And then that's been found out after a few games. So we've gone to 4-4-2 now. In that game against Villa, against Leicester, we were brilliant. And now I feel like it's sort of been found out. And now Lacazette's sort of not getting quite as involved in the games and he's not having quite as big as impact, quite as big an impact. So 
I think we're just going to have to keep, yeah, sort of changing what we're doing and maybe bring in, use the substitutes more. I think Arteta's been criticised a lot for the timings of his substitutions and also the substitutions that he's made in games, which I think, yeah, he could probably improve on a bit. Yes, I suppose Agreed. the XG thing is, I was going to say, just last thing, the XG thing as well, is you also, yeah. you know, um, you could be giving away loads of chances, but if you've got like a really good goalkeeper, which exactly. Arsenal seemingly exactly. do now have, then it can be like, well, you know, we should have conceded more goals, but we've got a goalkeeper who's better than exactly. 90% of the other keepers in the league. So we can give away those chances. Exactly. Like, for example, Chelsea, they should have conceded, I think, Mendy's saved three or, three or four goals he's prevented for Chelsea in the Premier League mm. this season. So if you were to look at them, you'd, yeah, obviously you, they've got Mendy so, and we've got Ramsdale. So. Harvey, I hope you're not too nervous about this. Um, it's obviously a, a pretty seismic moment for, for you in your career, taking part in the Arsenal beat Arsenal quiz. And you are the 10th man, person, I should say, sorry, forgive me, Susie Rack, you are the 10th person to take part in the quiz. The current low score is Nick Ames of The Guardian on 6 out of 10, and the top score is Charlie Watts of Goal on 9 out of 10. Obviously, it's not an exact science because the question difficulty has varied somewhat. Um, but as regular listeners will know, you've got five General knowledge questions first, and then five on your specialist subject, which is Santi Cazorla. Um, how are you feeling, firstly? I'm ready to really embarrass myself. <laughs> yeah, we're all friends here, my friend. No worries, no worries. Uh, right, Simon, you can obviously jump in if Harvey can't get it. Um, but uh, yeah, otherwise stay quiet. Okay, question one. General knowledge. Arsenal famously went on a record 49 consecutive top flight league games unbeaten run from May 2003 to October 2004. In that period, Thierry Henry was the club's top scorer with 39 goals. Who was their second highest scorer in that period with 23 goals? Freddie, uh, Robert Pires. Pires is correct. Good start. Question two. Freddie Jumberg was Arsenal's interim head coach for six matches. How many of those matches did Arsenal win? No. I'm afraid that is incorrect. Simon, do you want to jump in? Do you want to go for a guess, Simon? Yeah, it's just that one game at West Ham, wasn't it? I think they won. That, that's uh, right. Of course. Pepe goal. Yeah. Pepe goal, yeah. I think Martinelli scored as well, did he? I think Martinelli scored. I think, yeah, I think, that, was, I think that was Pepe's 16th false dawn of his arsenal career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's only 10 more to go before we leave. Um, uh, question three. What do the following players' Arsenal careers all have in common? Thierry Henry, Jens Lehmann, Sol Campbell, Mathieu Flamini and Martin Keown. They all have one thing in common. That's not just... They play for Arsenal, obviously. More is interested in that. Say those names again one more time, sorry. Henri, Lehman, Campbell, Flamini and Keown. Did they all never lose a game against Tottenham? That's not the answer I've got, I'm afraid. Ah. So, Simon? Uh, I think it's they left the club and then re-signed for the club. That is On correct. a free. 
maybe on a free. I don't know if they're all frees, but they're definitely the handbook. That is correct. Good knowledge. Good knowledge. Uh, question four. Harvey, who is the longest serving player in the current Arsenal squad? That's in the first team, so it doesn't include Academy kids who've been there since they were eight years old. This is uh, Callum Chambers. Correct. Calfu. Getting back in the team, that would solve all the problems. Um, question five, which I have to say, as a quiz master, I would think this. This is just a great question. Um, question five. Newcastle United, obviously Arsenal's opponents on Saturday, had more former Arsenal Academy players in their squad this weekend than Arsenal did. Joe Willock was none of was one of them. But can you name the other three? So Newcastle had four former Arsenal Academy players in their squad against Brentford this weekend. Willock was one. Who were the other three? And we'll give you a bonus point if you get all three. Isaac Hayden. Yep. Mm-hmm. Struggling. I love the sound of the ticking clock behind. It really adds a layer of sort of drama. Yeah, so I'm in my kitchen. On my kitchen table. Yeah, no, it's um, good. It's good. It's like countdown, isn't it? It is a bit. Uh, Do you want to call it? Call it there. Yeah. Simon. Oh, I, I think Hayden's the only one I can think of. But I, surely they weren't in the starting eleven. The other, the other two. One of them was. One of them was. was Christ. Um. I don't know. Don't know. It'll be really upset if it's like John Joe Shelby or something like that. <laughs> it is John Joe Shelby. He was there oh, for a year when what? he was nine years old. Wow. Amazing. I think we can let ourselves off not knowing that. Wow. Yeah. The other one was, was Dwight one? Gale. Dwight Gale was there for a couple of years. Uh, so was yeah, 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 yeah. I, um, I tested these questions out on, on Charles Watts yesterday and uh, yeah. he, he couldn't believe that Shelby was there either. But he really yeah. was. Google it. Was he just fuming that Arsenal let him slip through their fingers? That sort of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is it mid- the article of the midfield problems? Um, yeah. Harvey, you're going to get. I'm going to give you half a point for getting uh, getting Hayden. So you're up to two point five out Woo! of five so far. As we move on to your specialist subject, Santi Cazorla. Okay, quick one to start with. Who made more Premier League appearances for Arsenal, Cazorla or Mikel Arteta? Premier League. 50-50. Cazorla. Correct. 129 Premier League appearances. Arteta made 110 for Arsenal. Uh, Cazorla produced a spectacular debut for Arsenal, creating seven chances in his first game for the club, the most by any player on their Premier League debut since Opta began tracking those numbers. Who was that against? Sunderland. Correct. Good stuff. You're flying now. Question three. At five foot six inches tall, Cazorla <laughs> is the second shortest player Arsenal have signed in the last 10 years. Who was the shortest player? Wow. Uh... I could see Simon's well frowning. Simon's thinking so hard. His brain's whirring. Yeah. What what scout signed someone who was under five or six? Uh, Lucas Torreira. Spot on. 
Correct. Oh God, yeah. That our two said that went well, so. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, hey, he had he had a good few months, okay, and the, the coverage at the time was perfectly reflective of that, and, and certainly yeah. not overblown. Um, question four: Gazzola's final act as an Arsenal player was an assist in the Champions League. Which player did he set up? Mesut Ozil. Correct. I won't. No bonus point for this, but you know, name the team they played against as well. Ludogorets. Yes, sir. And final question. After which current footballer did Kazola name one of his dogs? Um, which current Arsenal footballer? No. Just a current, a current footballer. Foot, he's a current football player, but he's not playing for Arsenal. Uh, Are they Spanish? No. Don't usually do clues here, Harvey, but I'll give you that. Oh, one. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, Lionel. A good guess, but no. Simon, any idea? Um, Ronaldo. No, it's Zlatan. Zlatan. Don't know why. It's not a very but, uh, petty name, is it? So, come on, Zlatan. <laughs> Slightly odd. Also, um, also he's, uh, never played with Zlatan or... Yeah, bizarre. Just, just I wish, his dog after I wish I knew the story behind that, but um, yeah. it was it was in a quick-fire Arsenal media YouTube channel session with Nacho Monreal when they were talking about, like, random questions. And that came up. Um, and, you know, we like to have a... We like to have a, a slightly quirky question here. Just an example of some of the fun we have around this podcast, but um, <laughs> uh, good stuff. I think, and I'll, uh, I'll I'll listen, tot up the scores. I believe that puts you on six point five, which means you have definitely beaten Nick Ames, and you're not you're not at the foot of the table. So good debut, Harvey, and thank you very much for coming on. Just need to brush up on my dog names. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you if you'd got that, you would have gone into uh, sixth place. So possibly quite a harsh question to put that uh, right at the end, but uh, but very good effort. Thank you very much for coming on as well. Uh, it's been a pleasure, uh, and as ever, everyone listening, uh, stay safe.